Hey, uh, welcome. Hopefully, once again, hopefully you've already been welcomed multiple times, but welcome once again to, this is crazy to think about, but the last intermessor of the school year. I mean, it's just nuts. Uh, we, are, we are there, uh, end, end of the school year, and uh, I really appreciate um, how God has blessed us this year. It's been a really good year. Um, glad you're all here, uh, whether you're joining us live and in person, checking us out on our live stream, listening to the podcast later, whatever it may be, I am uh, just excited to have, uh, to have folks uh, here in the house for the first time in a while. We had to figure out some alternatives for parking because the lot was actually full at, uh, at one point, which is really cool. That has not happened um, in a while, so that was, that was a really good thing uh, for sure. Well, um, if, uh, if I haven't met you yet, my name is Donnie Holiday. If I have met you, my name is still Donnie Holiday. You are welcome. That's one of my, one of my go-to jokes. Um, and my task uh, tonight as one of your staff members and the one who's up here a good bit is to not continue but conclude our theme of story time. Uh, kind of crazy to think about. Now, we're not concluding the idea of the story of Jesus because that's still going on, but we are concluding our, our theme. If you, you've been with us by now, you know this. Uh, we are using the Jesus Storybook Bible. If you're new, we're still using that. Um, so it looks like a children's Bible because it is, but it is definitely not just for kids. Uh, it does a great job of showing, as they call it, and we painted it here, every story whispers his name. It does a great job of showing how Jesus is the common thread throughout the whole Bible. And uh, they got this idea, every story whispers his name, from something Jesus said in John 5.39. It's our theme verse painted back there and popping up there. The scriptures point to me. This is Jesus uh, talking to people uh, the Jewish religious elite of his day who had what we now call the Old Testament, everything in the Bible before Jesus, they had it memorized. And Jesus is basically saying, you got it memorized? Well, good for you. You have missed the entire point because it's all about, uh, it's all about me is what Jesus has said. And it has been, and it, and it always has been. And what we've been looking at this year in the Jesus story, but Bible has been helping us is to realize that the Bible's Sure, there's a bunch of different stories in it, but the Bible's one story. It's the, it's the united story uh, of Jesus, and that's what the whole Bible is about. That's what we've been looking at all year. So, you know, I think some people heard that we were doing the Jesus story of the Bible and thought, ah, story, you know, Bible stories, big deal, but it's the story of the Bible, which is the story of Jesus. And we are going to uh, continue that uh, tonight. Uh, before we do, I'm going to pray. Um, Feeling a little off, so I may pray a little bit longer than I normally do uh, to start. Uh, but that's what we're going to do. So do what you do. God, I thank you uh, for tonight. I thank you that even when we're off, you're always on. Uh, and I pray, God, that uh, over the next little bit, you would just get me out of the way. Uh, that you would say exactly what you want to say through me. That you would not allow me to say anything you don't want me to say. Uh, I pray that you would... Uh, settle me down, give me, um, just give me some of your peace. Uh, you say your peace transcends understanding, and I would appreciate a, a healthy dose of that. Uh, and I pray, God, for each of us that you would help us to hear what you know each of us individually need to hear uh, tonight, God. Uh, thanks for loving us. Thanks for uh, listening to us. Thank you for being our God. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So what happens when you die? Just start with something nice and lighthearted. Just kind of 
chill with this. Just real light to start thinking. People have been wondering this since, well, since people died. Um, since, I guess, since uh, Cain killed Abel, people have been wondering what happened. But, you know, also, like, what's heaven like? It's like, you know, we're just, we're just going to keep it real chill and low-key tonight. Just, you know, simple questions. But because it's hard to wrap our minds around these things because we think we have no idea. Now, what we're going to see, actually, is um, the Bible does, again, I talk about this a lot, how the Bible has some answers to questions that we think there aren't answers to. And the Bible actually says, has some stuff to say about, uh, especially what heaven's like. And we're going to get to that in just a little bit. But it is hard to wrap our minds around. Um, but it hasn't stopped Hollywood from trying. So... Um, I did some looking Monday on the internet, because that's where you go when you need a good sermon illustration. Um, I was like, okay, let's get some pictures of, of what heaven, what some people think heaven is. And it was very difficult to find anything that wasn't just stupid, or just flat out, no, that's just wrong. That's just blasphemy and heresy. That's just terrible. I'm not doing that. But I did find these two pictures that I kind of liked. Yes, when in doubt, go to Looney Tunes. So, yes, in this episode of Tom and Jerry, uh, Tom has apparently uh, passed away, um, I guess, for the ninth time. Um, there we go. Somebody got it. Okay. And so you see, like, you know, and this is what we think, right? That, like, you know, some, some part of you, like, comes up out of the rest of you, and then there's this elevator go, or escalator going up, which is better than an escalator going down. So, and then you get your heaven issue angel wings and... And halo, and you get your very young cloud, and you take a nap that apparently is such a fun nap that you're grinning. I mean, look at the smile. He's so happy to be napping, um, which is proof that naps are good. You should do that. Um, Jesus napped, so you should too. It's in the Bible. Um, but I, I mean, seriously, it was so hard to find. But like, okay, I'm not asking you what you think, but like, what are things that you have seen, like on, you know, whatever, movies, books, comic strips? Google image searches for heaven. Like, what are some things you've seen that just make you go, what? What? Gates. gates. There's gates. Castles. Okay, castles. Peter with his little list. Peter with his little list. <laughs> okay. Golden streets. Golden streets. Little trumpets. Weaponized angels. Weaponized angels. Mm, that's a good, I'll get to that one. Okay. Everybody plays a harp in heaven, right? Yeah, like, what's up with that? So, um, Peter with his little list made me think, has anybody unfortunately seen the movie Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey? That's the sequel to Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, which is where the world met Keanu Reeves for the first time, as Ted Theodore Logan. Um, well, Bill and Ted in the second one, spoiler, but this movie's older than all of you, so get over it. They die, and they go to heaven, and so Peter's there, and he asks them, what's the meaning of life? And they quote the chorus of Poison's song, Every Rose Has Its Thorn. And he lets them in. And if you're not familiar with Poison, big hair band from the 80s, grunge killed all the big hair bands, but that's okay. Brett Michaels, you might have heard of him. Um, but yeah, we just don't know what to do with it. I mean, it, it, heaven, and it just kind of, it's confusing, and we're not really sure, and there's so much stuff out there that you're just like, I don't know what it is. I'm pretty sure that's not right. Um, so uh, Angela's uh, son, Dylan, was convinced when he was young there would be a chocolate fountain in heaven. I'm not saying he's wrong. I mean, who knows? It might be. 
Um, he also told Angela that he was going to find it first before he found her when he got to heaven. So, so priorities, right? Um, but we're going to talk. We're talking about this idea of heaven because the last story in the Jesus story, but Bible is called a dream of heaven. And it's the Jesus story, but Bibles look at the last book of the Bible, which is Revelation. Yes, we are talking Revelation tonight. Now, if you're like, oh, oh, isn't that like really, really crazy? Well, I hope tonight will be helpful because we're going to make some, not complete by any stretch, but some sense of one of the most intimidating books in the Bible because it is awfully intimidating. Um, and I hope tonight will be useful because we're going to see that, you know, the Jesus story the Bible calls it a dream of heaven. But we're going to see that heaven is more than just a dream. It's more than just some future hope, which is um, honestly what a lot of of Christians have done with with heaven is we have relegated it to this this future hope thing. And I think we've done that because of misinterpreting some some passages in the Bible, which is no surprise. Christians have done all sorts of uh, not good things by misinterpreting passages in the Bible. Uh, but the one I think we've kind of missed a little bit of the point of is 1 Corinthians 15, 19, uh, where a man named Paul, and if you're not familiar with Paul, uh, we, looked, we talked about his story a good bit last week. First ever Christian missionary, traveled around the Mediterranean world, told people about Jesus, started a bunch of churches, wrote a bunch of letters. Uh, we still have some of those letters. And he wrote this to uh, the Corinthians. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. So he's saying if, if following Jesus, the only hope we have is in this life, we should be pitied more than anybody else, okay? Which seems to make sense because if being, if being a Christian is just about this life, we might kind of ask ourselves, well, what's the point then? Okay, and to that, I want to offer you the words of someone much wiser than me, this sweet uh, older lady that said this, um, her, her name was Tweet. Yes, her name was Tweet. Um, And I'll never forget this. She said, when asked, what do you do if somebody asks you, what if you're wrong about this whole Jesus thing? And and the wisdom that can only come with gray hair, a lot of it. So gray it was almost blue. It was so adorable. Um, Miss Tweet said, it's worth being wrong. If when I die, that's it. There's no heaven, no hell. She said, that's okay with me because I know my life following Jesus and I know my life when I'm not following Jesus. And my life following Jesus has been so much better that it's worth being wrong. And I, I mean, she said that in the Sunday school class I was in. There was like five minutes left in the class. And, um, <laughs> and the guy teaching it went, well, I'm going to pray because we're done. That's the best thing that's been said all day. And it was just like, yep, glad you recognize that. Um, but I think we've taken this so far that we've missed that we've missed the point that we've missed that that there is tremendous value in this life also because yes there is this next life and we'll talk more about that tonight but if being a Christian is just about that life well then what's the point because I think Paul would agree if in Christ we have hope only in the next life we are of all people most to be pitied. If it's all about what happens when you die, well, then what's the point of still being here? And I think this is a problem that a lot of non-Christians have with, Christian, with the Christian message. I mean, why should a non-Christian believe our message of hope for the next life if it doesn't also give them hope for this life? Like, why tell them things will one day be better, but it's not going to get any better now? That's, that's not helping anything. 
You know, the future hope of heaven is really cool, but what about now? So that's why the question I want us to think about tonight is, what if I don't have to wait until I die to experience heaven? Um, this is what I like doing. I've been doing this all year, and I'm probably going to keep on doing it because I just like questions. I think questions stick better, and I think first-person questions where you ask yourself the question rather than me asking you the question sticks a whole lot better. But what if I don't have to die? What if I don't have to wait until I die to experience heaven? So we're going to look at what John, what, what was revealed to John, what God revealed to John. That's why it's called Revelation, because it was revealed to him. And then we're going to try to figure out how we can experience that now. So what we're really going to look at um, is a little bit, the Jesus Story Bible account is a little bit of, of Revelation 1, a little bit of some of the middle chapters. It's mostly the last two chapters, 21 and 22. Um, if you want to know more about the stuff in the middle and all the imagery and things that John sees that make you kind of go, can't go to sleep tonight. Um, I am going to tell you that Brandon Helton is the man to talk to because he understands it way more than I do. He gets the historical context um, remarkably well and can really help you understand that it's not as scary of a book and not in, as intimidating as a book as you might, uh, as you might believe. So, uh, I'll just leave that with that. So I'm going to read this. It's going to be up there. Here we go. John was one of Jesus' helpers. He was old now, same, and living on an island, which might sound nice, except it was a prison. The leaders put him there to stop him from talking about Jesus. But I'm sure you don't think a little thing like being in a cell in a prison on an island in the middle of the ocean could stop God's plan, do you? One morning, Jesus appeared right there in John's cell. Jesus' eyes were bright, shining like the sun. I'm going to show you a secret, John, Jesus said, about when I come back. His voice was like the sound of rushing waters. Write down what you see so God's children can read it and wait with happy excitement. Then Jesus gave John a beautiful dream, except John was wide awake, and what he saw was real, and one day it would all come true. Now, this is one of those places where the Jesus story Bible turns it. So if that, I know that looks kind of weird, but, you know, they just did the thing where they turned it kind of sideways. So don't think I messed up the PowerPoint. Um, I see a throne, and on the throne is a king, and the king is Jesus. And all around the throne, people are bowing down. They are giving him their treasures. There are loud cheers and clapping, clapping and bright laughter like a thousand waterfalls. And everyone burst out singing a new song. This is our king, the lamb who died so we don't have to. Our rescuer. All honor and glory forever and ever. And every creature everywhere in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea joins in. And then from all around, a wide, immense, beautiful silence. And then I see Satan, God's horrible enemy, thrown down. He's defeated. I see a sparkling city shimmering in the sky, glittering, glowing, coming down from heaven and from the sky. Heaven is coming down to earth. God's city is beautiful. Walls of topaz, jasper, sapphire, wide streets paved with gold, gleaming pearl gates that are never locked shut. That are never locked shut. Where's the sun? Where's the moon? They aren't needed anymore. God's all the light people need. No more darkness. No more night. And the king says, look. God and his children are together again. No more running away or hiding. 
No more crying or being lonely or afraid. No more being sick or dying. Because all those things are gone. Yes, they're gone forever. Everything sad has come untrue. And see, I have wiped away every tear from every eye. And then a deep, beautiful voice that sounded like the thunder in the sky says, Look, I am making everything new. And that sounds pretty freaking amazing to me. That's going to be a great day one day. But to some extent, today can be that day. And I have to say to some extent, because here's the reality, y'all. Here on earth, they're still crying. There's still loneliness. There's still fear. There's still sickness. There's still pain. There's still death. Okay? We know that. But what if, what if that deep, beautiful voice that says, I am making everything new, What if it's already started doing so? What if we don't have to wait for that, for God to start making things new? And we don't, because after he wrote 1 Corinthians, Paul wrote 2 Corinthians, and in 2 Corinthians he wrote this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. If what the Bible says is true, and I believe it is, God's already making things new. He's already making people new. God's already making things new. You know, in, in Revelation, when he says that, it's not like, I ju- it, it, it's not, I just now started making everything new. It's, I am making things new. As if he's been doing that for a while, because he has been. Jesus' followers show it. That he's making things new. Just like he revealed to John, that's what heaven looks like. Which means, that's a piece of heaven right here on earth. Things being made new. People being made new when they decide to start following Jesus. It's like we're a little suburb of heaven. So our question, what if I don't have to wait until I die to experience heaven? I don't think we do. I think we just got to pay attention. Now here's the thing about that one, I guess it was two pages, from the Jesus Storybook Bible. There's a lot to unpack in there. Okay, There's a lot to unpack in there. We would be here for hours. So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to hit two points real quickly that I just can't not talk about. And then I'm going to get to the one that's going to be what we're going to talk about for the majority of the time. But these first two things... I could easily do whole talks on them, but we got to, I can't not talk about this, okay? Because it's just really cool. All right, so the first thing is when the Jesus Story Bible says that heaven is coming down to earth. Now, when you read Revelation, it says that the holy city, the new Jerusalem descends, okay? So that um, up escalator that we saw with, with, with Tom, and then the whole, the old hymn, I'll fly away, I'll fly away. I think you're flying away and Jesus is coming down. He's like, where are you going? I'm, I'm headed down there. Because this idea of I'll fly away is what has led Christians to think taking care of this planet isn't really important. And there is something wrong with that, people. That is why we support Sun Safaris, Fledge, Fledge Flamingo. When Fledge start launched Sun Safaris 
and talked about he was going to you know, glorify God and minister to people with creation care. He had people ask him why. Why is creation care important? And he was like, it's God's creation. Like, isn't that enough? I mean, it really should be. We, we should treat this place like somebody really important is coming and we don't know when. Because that's exactly what it is. Okay, heaven is coming down to earth and it'll all be made new. That's really cool. Also cool. And this is so neat. God is all the light people need. This says there's no sun, there's no moon in heaven. God's all the light people need. Now, this takes us all the way back to the first intermessage of the school year when we talked about creation. Way back in the first two chapters of the Bible. Because the Bible does this really cool symmetrical thing. The first two chapters, Genesis 1 and 2. I'm getting excited. My pants are about to fall off. I'm moving around too much. But I can't tighten them. You know you need to have that belt loop, like, in, like that belt hole like in between? That's where I am right now. But anyway, um, there's a lot of really cool symmetry in the Bible. Genesis 1 and 2. Everything's perfect. Revelation 21 and 22. Everything's perfect. All stuff in the middle is messed up. Because people suck. I mean, sorry, that's just, that's just the way it is. But Revelation 21 and 22, no sun, no moon, no stars, because God's the light. Genesis 1, we learned that on day 4, God created the sun, the moon, and the stars. Which means that for the first three days, it was just like it's going to be at the end of days, where God was the light. See, that's the thing. It's like day one, God, God says, let there be light. But he didn't make the sun and the moon and the stars. He was the light, which is really, really cool. And that, I just love that symmetry of the Bible, that it was perfect, and it's going to be again. But where we're going to camp out tonight, where we're really just going to, this is where we're going to be, is God and his children are together again. That's, that's where we're going to hang out tonight. Because the reality is, we don't have to wait until we die for that to be the case. And this God and His children are together again is the Jesus Storbit Bible's uh, take on Revelation 21.3. Where John writes, and I, that's John, heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be His people, and God Himself will be with them as their God. That word dwell in the Greek, again, remember the Bible's not written in American English. The New Testament from Jesus on, that part's written mostly in Greek. The Greek word that is translated dwell there literally means to pitch a tent. It literally means to set up camp. That's why we're setting up camp there. Okay, The dwelling place is the same root, just noun versus verb, but it's the same Greek uh, root. And, and we're going to Start off looking at the dwelling place, because what's interesting about that, when you, sorry, I got I to gotta linguistically nerd out a little bit here. So the first part of the Bible, the Old Testament, the part before Jesus comes on the scene, was originally written in Hebrew, but there is a Greek translation of the Hebrew Old Testament. It's called the Septuagint, okay, because 70 dudes got together and put it together and did it independently and then came together and was like, oh, we're pretty close. Okay, cool. Okay, so... The Greek word that is translated um, dwelling place 
In the Old Testament, in the Greek Old Testament, it's translated tent, but more often than not, it's translated tabernacle. Okay, now, if you're not familiar with the tabernacle, the tabernacle was basically the mobile temple that Israel had between Egypt and getting settled um, in Jerusalem. Okay, when... uh, when the Israelites were, were led out of Egyptian uh, slavery, at one point they are instructed to build this tabernacle. It was basically, it was their church building, for lack of a better uh, phrase, while they were in, in the desert. Now, the word tabernacle shows up for the first time in Exodus 25. In the book of Exodus, when you hear um, Exodus, you think plagues, Moses yelling at Pharaoh, let my people go, you know, plagues of locusts, plagues of darkness, uh, plagues where uh, on the livestock, all these plagues. And I was, um, I was Tuesday years old when I discovered this for the first time. Okay. From the first time Moses shows up in Pharaoh's court and says, God says, let my people go. To the incident at the Red Sea where God parted the waters, Israel went through, Pharaoh and his army followed him, and God was like, nope. Okay, that's ten chapters. Okay, so the Exodus itself is basically ten chapters. Of Exodus is 40 chapters. There are also ten chapters detailing the instructions for and construction of the tabernacle. There's just as much written in the book of Exodus about the tabernacle as there is about the Exodus. And that's fascinating to me. The word tabernacle shows up three, more than three times as often as the word plague, but that's what most of us think about when we think of, um, of Exodus or we think of you know the Exodus because that's what the title is. But... If it's a quarter of the book, maybe it's really important. It's like, well, why in the world would this tent that was, I mean, special, but I mean, still, it's just a tent. What's the big deal? Well, the big deal shows up in the last paragraph of Exodus. Exodus chapter 40. Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle, and Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud settled on it and the glory of the Lord filled the temple. Just like in Revelation 21 and Exodus 40, the dwelling place of God is with man. The glory of God so filled the tent that it literally pushed Moses out. And once again, The dwelling place of God is with man. And I say once again because that already happened before. Genesis chapters 1 and 2. It literally talks about how God and Adam and Eve just walked around in the garden. Just went for a walk in the afternoon. God was dwelling with man. And then it happens again. And I'm not talking about Revelation 21. Even before that, in 1 Kings 8, once um, once they get out of out of the desert, and they finally get their place and get in the, get in the land of, of God's rest. By the way, the Bible never calls it the promised land. It's always called the land of my rest. 
So as we enter finals, rest is important. Okay, just going to put that out there. Um, it's always important, but especially during finals. Um, but they get to Jerusalem, and King Solomon builds a temple. Uh, King Solomon is David's son, King David. Right there, King David killing, killing Goliath. Um, King Solomon builds a temple. And when they dedicate the temple, this happens again. Just change the word tabernacle to temple. And instead of Moses not being able to enter, none of the priests could. It happened again. God's dwelling was with man, which is, I mean, I, that, I mean I'm a Greek and Hebrew language dork. I get that. that and maybe you're like, okay, Donnie, cool. We, last one, we get that you're going to do some Greek language stuff. But what's that have to do with experience heaven before death? What does that have to do? What does any of that have to do with that? Well, let me ask us a question. And this one's going to sound big, but this one's not rhetorical. I'm serious. What makes heaven heaven? Yeah. God. That's what makes heaven heaven. Which if you think about it, we're going to stay positive. I'm not going to talk, don't want to talk about hell a ton. But if, if it's heaven because God's there, what does that imply about hell? That he's not. So that's a whole other discussion for another day. But yeah, what makes heaven heaven is that God's there. It's where God is. It's where he dwells with his people. Well, then wouldn't that mean that when he's walking around the garden with Adam and Eve, that that's a little piece of heaven? Wouldn't that mean that when they're out there in the middle of the desert and all of a sudden God fills the tabernacle, that's a little piece of heaven, that when... Solomon dedicates the temple, and it fills, and, and the Spirit of God, the, the, the glory of God, that cloud fills the temple. Doesn't that make all of those places something that um, one of my favorite Bible scholars and Christian authors, N.T. Wright, likes to call places where heaven and earth meet? This is a big, N.T. Wright talks about this all the time, and if you, if you want to know Anything about, not anything, but if you want to know why N.T. Wright's worth your time, talk to me or talk to Nathan Reinheimer. We're kind of big N.T. Wright nerds, dorks. Yeah, whatever, we'll take it. Yeah, nerds, yep. Enthusiast. Enthusiast. Nerds, yeah, it's nerds. But literally, when I, was, when I was vacuuming the meeting room this morning, I had my podcast in listening to N.T. Wright. Um, but this, he, this is what he talks about. It's the place where heaven and earth Meet, and those are pieces of heaven that people experienced while they were alive. Adam and Eve experienced that while they were alive. Every single person that was at the tabernacle or was near the tabernacle experienced that. Every single person that went to the temple in Jerusalem saw a place where heaven and earth met. And then maybe you, you know the history well enough, you'd be like, yeah, but didn't they destroy the temple in 70 AD? They sure did. Well, so what do we do now? Well, thanks for asking. Hypothetical CCF. Um, it doesn't end there. Let's go back to Revelation 21 3 because we're going to look at another Greek word, that dwelling place word. No, we already did that one. Dwell. Right? Yeah, so we're on the verb now. It's just such good stuff. Um, so <laughs> there's a couple different places where that verb dwell appears. Probably one of the most well known. Uh, is also written uh, by John, 
This is the same John who wrote one of the four accounts of Jesus' time on earth. And in John 1.14, he writes, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. He's talking about Jesus. This is how, this is how John introduces Jesus to us as the Word. It became flesh and tabernacled among us. That's what the word dwelt literally means. Set up camp. Okay? The message says moved into the neighborhood. Which is like, alright, that's cool. Okay? That's God dwelling with His people. The tabernacle and the temple in the first part of the Bible were the places where heaven and earth met. And then Jesus became that. Jesus was the place where heaven and earth met. When people saw Jesus, they caught a glimpse of heaven. I mean, think about that. Wherever Jesus was, that was a little piece of heaven. Which is all well and good, we think. But, but Donnie, um, I mean, he gone. So, like, what about now? Well, glad you asked. Hypothetical CC effort. 1 Corinthians 3.16. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's Spirit dwells in you? If you're a follower of Jesus, you're a temple of God. If you're a follower of Jesus... His Holy Spirit dwells inside of you. The same Spirit that Genesis 1, chapter 1, verse 2, literally the second verse in the Bible, the same Spirit that was hovering over the deep before creation, that's the Spirit that dwells inside every follower of Jesus. The same Spirit that so filled the tabernacle in Exodus 40 and then so filled the temple in 1 Kings 8 that nobody could enter. And the same spirit that all four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the four accounts of Jesus' time on earth, all four of them say that when Jesus was baptized, heaven was open and the spirit descended on him like a dove. All four of them say that. That same spirit lives inside every single Jesus follower. If you're a Jesus follower, you're an example of God dwelling with man. If you're not, I would love to talk to you about that, by the way. This, uh, this makes me think about, as I, was, as I was getting to this point in the talk, I was like, man, I need something to kind of break up. That was a lot. And I was like, oh my goodness, I've got the perfect story. So years ago at intern orientation, back before we called them MAs, we called them interns, um, we had an intern named Alexis. Um, I meant to text Alexis to tell her I was going to be talking about her tonight. Oops, I forgot. I'll try to text her later tonight. Um, so, Madam Dictator, this is for you. Um, she was the president of CCF, kind of like Riley is now with the um, student organizations on campus, but she thought president wasn't a good enough term for her, so she declared herself a dictator. And so we called her Madam Dictator. Um, but we were in, uh, Angela and I were meeting with the interns. We were talking about this book that we'd all read over the summer. It was called, it's called The Forgotten God by Francis Chan. 
If you want to know about the Holy Spirit, that book is a great place to start. Okay? Um, I've read it a couple of times. Happy to talk with you about it. I've talked with multiple students. I've done book studies with multiple students. With it. it's, a really, it's a really good book. I can't say I agree with everything in it, but there's not a book on my shelf that I agree with everything of, so that's okay. But we're sitting there, and Alexis goes, okay, so let me think if I can get this right. So it seems like in the Old Testament, the tabernacle and the temple were the tabernacle. And then the Gospels... Jesus was the tabernacle, and now, like, we're the tabernacle. And Angela and I did that thing that ministers do when somebody who's not a minister says something really good, just kind of like, and we were just dead quiet for a little bit because it was like, dang, that was really good. And Alexis kind of freaked out. Like, she thought she had said something, like, horribly wrong. She was just like, was that, was that, okay? was that, she's like, am I good? Was that, like, did I just say, like, blasphemy? Like, you're all about to fire me? Like, what's going on? And it was fantastic. Because it's exactly right. She was exactly right. We're the tabernacle now. Because we have God's Holy Spirit living inside of us. And so, you know, if, if N.T. Wright is correct, and I think he is when he says that the tabernacle... And then Jesus, and Jesus who is essentially tabernacle in the flesh. If the tabernacle and Jesus are places where heaven and earth meet, then that would mean Jesus' followers are also places where heaven and earth meet. Which means, this isn't the question. Because if you're a Jesus follower, you don't have to wait. You already are experiencing it. I get it. Life's still messed up. There's junk going on every day. A good friend of mine's father passed away like five hours ago. Life sucks sometimes. I get it. But if you're a Jesus follower, you are experiencing heaven right now. Because Jesus said eternal life was knowing Him and knowing God. And eternal means no end and no beginning. So you're already in it. That's not the question. The question is, what can I do today to enable others to experience heaven on earth? That's, that's so much more important. Because people talk about like wanting to, wanting to like start this movement and launch some new thing and, and all this. And several years ago, we had a theme and it wasn't called... Start a movement. It was called join the movement. Because here's the thing. God's already doing His thing. He's already making things new. You don't have to reinvent the wheel. Just jump on board and try to hang on. You don't have to bring heaven to earth. It's already here. We just have to reveal it. Be somebody's little piece of heaven. Okay, and and, and we said that heaven... Is heaven because it's where God is. And one thing about that. The same man who wrote Revelation. The same man who wrote the fourth account of Jesus' time on earth. He also wrote three letters. And in one of them. And it's called 1 John. He said that God is love. God is love. And 
You know, I mean, we say we love barberitos and we love spaghetti and we love all sorts of things. But that's not, that's not what God means by love. Y'all, the Jesus Storybook Bible just does such a great job with describing God's love. And if you've been here a lot this year, you've probably heard this because they mention it in just about every one. But this is how the Jesus Storybook Bible describes God's love. The never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love of God. That he showed us in Jesus. The never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love of God that he showed us in Jesus. Which kind of sounds like uh, the CCF mission statement, which says, We want to help college students know the love, grace, and truth of God found in Jesus. It is my hope and prayer that we have done that this year for each of you and for each person who's been in this room or has gotten a meal at CC Free Food on campus or has been a part of anything we've done that we've shown you that never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love of God that He showed us in Jesus. To help you know the love, grace, and truth of God found in Jesus. That's CCF's mission. And if you're a Jesus follower, it's yours too. So may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all as we enable others to experience heaven on earth. Let's pray. Uh, God, thank you for tonight. Thank you for... Uh, thank you for 30 amazing Thursday nights here at CCF this year. Thank you for the Jesus Storybook Bible. Um. God, I just ask that you would help us realize um, that those of us that are following Jesus have a responsibility to help others see what we get to see every day, which is little glimpses of heaven. And God, for those of us in the room or listening on the live stream or the podcast uh, who haven't decided to follow Jesus yet, God, I just pray that they would reach out to just one of us on staff, so we can have that conversation. Because what, what we do with your son is the most important decision we will ever make in our lives. God, I ask you to watch over my friends that are hurting uh, so badly right now, having lost a parent. Your word calls you the God of all comfort. They need you to be that right now.
Thank you for always wanting to be with us. Thank you for, from the very beginning, God setting it up so that you could be with us, for sending Jesus so that you could be with us, and putting amazing people in our lives to show us how much you want to be with us, God. Uh, Thank you for loving us. Thank you that you are with us. Thank you that you are for us. And thank you that there is never anything that could stop you from loving us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.